Good morning, everyone. We're now going to do the Bible reading, which this morning is from Exodus chapter 4. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored, like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand, so you can perform the signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go, 
so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord has sent him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Well, thanks very much, Chris, for reading for us this morning. Good morning. Uh, my name's Matt. Uh, let me add my welcome to, to Jane's and to Simon's. Uh, I wonder if you have ever been asked to speak for someone. Uh, we, amongst our busy week, we had a birthday party last night for Annika's dad. Uh, a couple of people got up and had been asked to speak. Uh, have you been asked to speak for someone? Maybe at one of those happy occasions like a party or a wedding uh, or perhaps a harder occasion, like a farewell or a funeral. I'm sure, I'm sure some of us have gotten to speak at quite important occasions or uh, important functions. How do, you, how do you feel when you get asked to speak on one of those occasions? Some of us might feel confident uh, getting up in front of people at those times. Others might feel a lot more nervous. Uh, I'm sure lots of us would think, wow, this is a great honour to get to speak at something important, but at the same time, uh, it's quite intimidating. And often you have to think, what, what can I even say? You know, should, I, should I be funny? Should I be sincere? Uh, my trick is actually I, I like to flip wildly between the two. I, um, I like to start with something funny, push the boundaries a bit, and then just when people are sort of thinking, oh, that's a little bit inappropriate, you bring it back to something really sincere, uh, and then you get away with it. Uh, no one really kind of knows what's going on. Uh, sometimes on those occasions you think, I'm just not sure what I should say, and uh, I can certainly remember at times thinking, I really just wish someone else uh, was doing the speech, not me. Uh, or I really, really just wish I could get this over with. Well, if you bring to mind that feeling of doing an intimidating sort of speaking gig, uh, let's have a little sympathy for Moses, whose story we're thinking about this morning. Uh, Moses, in the book of Exodus, has been asked to speak by God himself. And not only that, he's been asked to speak to the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. He's been asked by God to speak to probably the most powerful man on earth. Uh, and not only that, he hasn't been asked to give a nice little toast or a well-wishing kind of speech. Moses' job is to go to Pharaoh and speak to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to do something quite shocking. He's to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh that he needs to let the Israelite people go free from slavery, let them leave Egypt. He's to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And at one level, this speaking opportunity that Moses has been given is an amazing honour. Um, he is going to be the spokesperson for God's rescue, the, the rescue we've been talking about for these last few weeks. He's going to be the one uh, to get to speak God's words and see people saved. But on the other hand, it's not surprising that Moses finds 
this idea a little bit overwhelming, is it? Uh, and in fact, across Exodus chapter 3 and 4, we have just had Exodus 4 read out for us. Uh, across these two chapters, 3 and 4, Moses comes to God uh, with five different reasons why he does not want this speaking gig. Five objections to what God has asked him to do. And I thought today, um, what we could do is actually just step through the five objections that Moses has. Five reasons why Moses doesn't want this job, really, of speaking uh, for God to Pharaoh. Uh, Here are the five reasons. Uh, We had a couple of them mentioned just briefly in the kids' talk. Uh, Maybe you can recognize feeling some of these things when you've been asked to speak on a special occasion. Uh, Who am I to speak here? And who, who are you? Who am I really speaking for anyway? And what if people don't listen? And I'm not even that good a speaker. And isn't there someone else who could do it? Never felt any of those things? Uh, well, today we're going to step through these five objections that Moses brings to God. But we'll try and race through because after we've thought about the task given to Moses, I also want to take some time today to spend uh, some time thinking about ourselves. Because if we're followers of Jesus... Well, we also actually have been asked to do a speaking gig. Uh, We also, a bit like Moses, have been asked to speak God's words to people. Uh, And Moses had a wonderful opportunity, but also had his hesitations. And uh, we may well be a bit intimidated by the task of speaking God's words, speaking the gospel. We might have some of these objections. Uh, But today I want us to go away encouraged, uh, because like with Moses, the task we've been given is a great honour. It is a great opportunity. And like with Moses, we have some great assurances, some great encouragements that have been given to us as we think about the task that we've been given. That's what I want to point us to today. Uh, So we'll think about Moses, then we'll come back and think about us. (coughs) Excuse me, we're going to go back and look at a couple of bits of Exodus chapter 3, but then we'll spend most of our time thinking about Exodus chapter 4. It'd be great to have the passage in front of you, uh, bring it up on your phone, grab a Bible, um, if you have one with you, um, we're going to step through these five objections. And the first one uh, that Moses has as he's been given this chance to come and speak God's words, uh, his first objection is, who am I? Who am I? Uh, we'll start back at Exodus 3, verse 7. Uh, so Exodus 3, verse 7. Uh, God is speaking to Moses from the burning bush. Uh, God says, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about them. Uh, And God says, I have come down to rescue them, to bring them into a good land, to bring them into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey, a bit like how I like my Weet-Bix in the mornings. The cry of the Israelites has reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So Moses, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring uh, my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Go, Moses, and speak my words. This is what God says to Moses. And Moses says, verse 11, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? God is ready to act to save his people. He wants to send Moses, but Moses says, who am I to go and do this? Uh, I wonder what you think about this. Uh, Do you think Moses should just get over himself and just do it? Or do you sympathize with Moses? Or yeah, is he being a bit of a whiner? Uh, but I reckon Moses is actually uh, spot on. I mean, for one thing, Moses is kind of a nobody. He's a humble shepherd living a long way away from Egypt. For him to go all the way back to Egypt and take on the might of the most powerful kingdom on earth kind of does seem ridiculous, doesn't it? 
Um, it's kind of like you or I thinking that uh, we could go and perhaps confront um, President Joe Biden over something. Um, you know, we can't just fly to America and go and knock on the White House door and have a chat. Um, I've been to the White House. They normally don't even let you near the fence, let alone uh, to the front door. Who is Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh? Except, of course, on the other hand, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house, wasn't he? And it's a, it's a long time ago, but he is no stranger to the Egyptian royals. But then you add to this, uh, Exodus has actually already been showing us that Moses kind of doesn't have what it takes to go and help his people. If, we, uh, if you've been with us the past few weeks, you might remember back in chapter 1, we looked at uh, Israel in slavery. We saw how Israel uh, really needs rescue. And then uh, chapter 2, we had the story of Moses being put into a basket as a baby. And we kind of thought at that time that maybe, okay, maybe Moses is going to be able to do something to help his people. But instead, he actually just stuffs things up and makes things worse. We, we kind of have been shown this, that Moses tried to help. He tried to do it on his own and actually he didn't have what it takes. So what's the difference now when we get to chapter 4? Well, when we come to chapter 3 and 4, the point isn't that Moses has suddenly become excellent. The point isn't that Moses has grown older and wiser and now he can help. The difference is now, Exodus 3.11, Moses says, who am I to go to Pharaoh and speak to God? But Exodus 3.12, God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. God doesn't say, don't be silly, Moses. You're just being humble. You're just underrating yourself. You can do this fine. Believe in yourself, Moses. No, no, no. We all know Moses doesn't have what it takes. Moses knows it. Exodus has shown it to us. But what Moses now does have is he has God with him. Moses says, who am I? And God says, well, you are not the point. The point is, I'm with you. So then Moses' second objection, which flows right out of objection number one, God says, I'll be with you. And so Moses says, well then, okay, well, who are you? Verse 13, Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And suppose they ask me, well, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Who are you, God, anyway? What's your name? For those who were around last week, we had a good look at this. God does give his name. He says, I am who I am. God tells Moses that he is the unchanging God. He is the God who is eternal. He's been faithful to Moses. He'll continue to be faithful now. This is not the kind of God who's going to make Moses a promise of being with him and then abandon that promise a few days later. This is the faithful, eternal promise-keeping, rescuing God. And this God is the God that's going to be with Moses. This God can be trusted. This God can be relied upon. So is that enough for Moses? Is he ready to go now? Well, no, third objection. What if people don't listen? Uh, From Exodus 4 now that Chris read for us, chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, well, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say, the Lord didn't appear to you? You're just making all this up. What if Moses goes back to Egypt and everyone just thinks he's a nutter? So far, God has been gracious with Moses, kind of patiently answering Moses' objections. And again here, God, has, God is gracious. You know, he's actually already told Moses what's going to happen back in chapter 3. God's already made it clear that the elders are going to listen and he says what's going to happen with Pharaoh. God's already spelled it all out. And so God doesn't really need to answer this question. He's already, he's already answered it. 
I wonder if uh, the teachers among us might feel a little bit of affinity with God here. You just finish going through your lesson plan, clearly explaining everything, and then up pops that student with a stupid question, asking the exact same thing you've just spent 10 minutes explaining. God says, Moses, you will go to the elders. This is what's going to happen. They will listen to you. Um, But up pops the question, oh, but what if they don't listen? God, come on, Moses. But God doesn't rebuke Moses. In fact, God is incredibly gracious. He gives Moses these three signs. Moses' staff turns into a snake, and in a very kind of Aussie thing to do, Moses sees the snake and bolts, runs away from that sucker. And then second sign, God gives Moses a sign with his hand going into his coat and out again, and then it's, it's leprous, and it goes in again, and then it's, it's clean. And then the third sign, Moses has to take some water from the Nile, tip it out, and it will turn into blood. Uh, Bible commentators have a few ideas about what these signs, what the deal with them is, what the significance is. Um, I think probably there's some foreshadowing, foreshadowing going on. Uh, next, next term at church, Simon is going to take us through what's going to happen next in Exodus, and we're going to see the plagues. And I think these signs kind of point us forward to uh, what we're going to see happen in a few chapters' time. Moses' snake is going to devour the snake of Pharaoh. The Egyptians are going to be struck down with disease. Uh, the Nile, the lifeblood of the Egyptian people, is going to be turned to blood itself. So Moses says, what if they don't listen? What if they don't believe? And actually, it is kind of a good question uh, because lots of people wouldn't believe that God is powerful enough to come and overthrow a mighty kingdom like the Egyptians. Uh, but God is pointing us forward. He's, he's showing that he's going to reveal his power in incredible ways. What if, what if they don't believe, says Moses? Uh, well, just you wait, says God. He's going to show himself in mighty ways as the story of Exodus continues. But for now, then, Moses has another objection. You sort of think, okay, well, by now, Moses knows that the powerful promise-keeping God is going to be with him. What other objection could he have? Well, what does Moses come up with? Well, I'm not even that good at speaking. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, "Uh, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I'm no speech giver. I'm not inspirational. People don't like listening to me. When I get up to give a toast at a wedding, I've got butterflies in my stomach. I'm not sure this is the gig for me, says Moses. Some commentators here will talk about whether maybe Moses had a speech impediment or some sort of medical or physiological reason behind what's going on here, uh, that he couldn't speak very well. Really, the text doesn't really tell us anything about that. Uh, But what it does give us is God's answer. Have a look with me at what God says in chapter 4, verse 11. I reckon this is the first time you start to see God is actually starting to get a little bit frustrated uh, with Moses and how many excuses he's coming up with. Uh, Verse 11, the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. This is the first time God sort of puts Moses a bit in his place. Moses needs to remember who we're dealing with here. This is not some random. This is the God who made him. Does Moses really think that God can't use him when God's the one who made him as he chose to make him in the first place? And then just as you think Moses must be done by now, surely it's time for him to pipe down and uh, just listen. Uh, He comes up with one final excuse, doesn't he? One final objection. Verse 13, Moses really doesn't have anything else logical to say but he really obviously doesn't want to go and do this gig. Verse 13, he just says, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. 
Makes me think a little Oliver Twist or something. Please some more. Please send someone else. Poor Moses isn't doing well, is he? Actually, you can kind of see weaker and weaker objections from starting off actually with kind of fair points, but now weaker and weaker objections until finally he just probably says what he's been thinking the whole time. I just don't want to go. Can you please send someone else? And yet, we kind of get it, don't we? That feeling, just wishing the burden would fall to someone else. I don't know about you, I can't speak for you, but I reckon if I were Moses, I would actually be right there with him. He, he left Egypt a long time ago. He's in Midian now, he's across the desert, he's got a nice life. He's got a wife, he's got a family, he's got a nice job as a shepherd. He gets to live the quiet life, lots of time outside enjoying God's good world. But God's got more for him to do. This isn't a time to be sitting back and enjoying. Moses does have a good life, but think of the tens of thousands of people who are back across the desert in Egypt. They're still there, they're still in slavery, they're still being oppressed. And sure, life is good for Moses, but there are people just over there who need saving. It'd be nice if someone else would go and do it, but God has chosen to send Moses. Here you actually see God does get angry, does get angry about what Moses says, uh, verse 14. But yet still, amongst the anger, there is also amazing grace. Moses asked for someone else to go. I'm sure for him that meant, I'm not going, can you please send someone else instead of me? Uh, but God does kind of half grant Moses' request. You know, Moses does still have to go, but God does give him someone else to go with him. God gives Moses someone to work alongside. How much nicer is it when we're facing a difficult task to do it with someone else, to have someone helping us to do it as part of a team? I mean, even think, um, think of the last time you say you had to tie up a trailer. Uh, you, you can do it by yourself, but how much nicer is it when you've got someone there to help you, a couple of people, one to hold the slack, one to feed the rope through. You can all kind of get to the end and make that obligatory comment, kind of pull the rope and say, that's not going anywhere. You can all feel a bit better about having the job done well. Well, God sends Aaron, someone, to go with Moses and to help Moses. And so finally we reach the end of Moses' objections. Who am I? Who are you? What if they don't believe? I'm not even good at speaking. Can't someone else go? And God has reassured Moses. And Moses does agree to go. He will go and speak for God in Egypt. And so I want to take us then to... Uh, have some good time to think about our task, to think about the role we've been given to speak God's words. But um, just briefly, before we get onto that last point, which we will have plenty of time to do, um, some of you will be wondering about this strange story towards the end of chapter 4. In the second half of chapter 4, Chris read it out for us. Uh, Moses starts heading towards Egypt. He begins the journey. And in verse 24, there's a moment where you almost do a double take. Uh, You're reading along. It's all going well. Moses is heading back to Egypt. Uh, Verse 24... At a lodging place along the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Double take, right? What? Hang on. I mean, surely after God has gone to all this effort to make Moses go and you've gone through this whole thing, the last thing you expect is for God to just kill Moses along the way. It's very strange. What is going on? A couple of just quick things to say before we move on. Um, One is that it's probably worth noting that this is a little bit of a weird passage to translate. Um, In the the original Hebrew, it is quite ambiguous, um, but it could be that Actually, the one that God was going to kill wasn't Moses, but Moses' son. There's a lot of pronouns being used, and it's a bit sure who, it's a bit unclear who refers to who. Um, you'll probably have some footnotes in your Bible about different ways it can be translated. Uh, but the other thing, I think if you zoom out a little bit, I think 
the big point of that weird little thing that happens uh, is, is very, fairly clear. Um, the, the big point of what's going on, I think, is fairly clear, and that's uh, that it's all well and good for Moses to go and speak God's words. God's kind of answered all the objections that Moses has. But then the one thing that God needs, the one maybe objection that God has, uh, is that God deals with people who belong to his covenant. God's, God deals with people who belong to his agreement that he's made with his people, that defines his people. And right since Abraham's time, the sign of being one of God's people, the sign of belonging to the covenant is circumcision of the males. And so Moses is going to go and be God's spokesperson. And if he and his family are going to belong to God, and if they're going to be used by God, then they need to show that they belong to God, that they are actually part of God's family. They are part of his people, part of the covenant. And circumcision is the way that was appropriate at that time to show that that was uh, who they were, that they belonged to God. Now, we're Christians. We know that in, uh, if we're in Jesus, we're under a new covenant. Circumcision is not the way that we show that we belong to God these days. Uh, this is a new covenant that Christians are part of. We have our own covenant signs. We have things like baptism and communion. But the point here, I think, if we want to belong to God, if we want to be used by God, then we need to take seriously that we're part of his people. Moses, for whatever reason, Moses had sort of let that task of getting his getting his son circumcised, he'd let that task sort of slip down the to-do list and forgotten about it. Shows a little bit about his priorities. Uh, but we see what happens. Zipporah, Moses' wife, comes through and gets it done. Uh, good on her. Now, time to change gears. Think about ourselves, our task, and the encouragement that we've been given. It's hard to think about one of these stories. This is a, a story that's over... 3,000 years old, and it's really kind of hard to work out what it's got to do with us. Uh, so, so let's flash forward a little bit, because that's a long, long time ago. Let's flash forward a bit. Let's flash forward uh, to just about 2,000 years ago to the person of Jesus. As we've heard today about Moses, who left his quiet life, went to Egypt to speak God's words and to rescue God's people from slavery. And we know that Jesus left his comfortable throne in heaven, came down to earth, became a man. We know that Jesus came to speak God's words. Do you remember the very start of Mark's gospel? We looked at it earlier in the year, if you were with us. Jesus came to preach, to speak the words of God, to speak the gospel, to tell us of the good news of the kingdom of God. He came to speak God's words. And like Moses, he also came to rescue us with God's words, not from physical slavery, but from slavery to sin and to death. And like Moses came with miraculous signs, Jesus came with miraculous signs. Remember, uh, do you remember the way John's gospel talks about signs? Uh, the water into wine is the first sign. There's the healing of the blind man. There's the raising of Lazarus. And there's seven of these signs through the book of John. And they all point to the great sign, which is Jesus' death and his resurrection. And then after Jesus rose from the dead, remember what he says at that great commission at the end of Matthew's gospel. It's, it's here on the screen. We've seen it in the kids' talk already. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here Jesus is speaking to all who would call themselves his disciples. He's speaking to Christians throughout the centuries, including to us here at Trinity Church Brighton uh, 2,000 years later. And Jesus 
is giving us a speaking gig. Jesus isn't asking us to speak on behalf of a friend or a relative. Like Moses, Jesus is asking us to speak the very words of God. And like Moses, this isn't about making a toast or making a few jokes. Like with Moses, this is about rescue. This is about speaking God's words and setting people free from slavery, speaking the words of the gospel. This is the speaking gig we've been given if we're followers of Jesus. I wonder how you feel about the gravity of that task, of that speaking gig. And this is actually where it gets a bit confronting, isn't it? Because um, it was kind of easier to look at Moses and think, oh, wow, yeah, he had, he had to do something pretty scary, didn't he? March into, march into Egypt and speak God's words. Wow, that would have been intimidating. Yeah, man, oh, look, I'm right there with him making those excuses. Yeah, that would have been tough. Geez, glad God hasn't got me to do something like that, right? Except now we realize that actually he has. <laughs> this is the task we've been given. What God calls us to do from the burning bush of Jesus and asks of us. We're told to go to rescue people from slavery, to speak his words, to make more and better disciples. Our task is to go to our neighbours, to our friends, to our family who don't know Jesus, to share God's words with them, to tell them of God's rescue, to be part of God's great plan, to see people set free from slavery. Our task is to speak God's words to one another, to remind each other of God's promises as we go through the ups and downs of life to teach God's words to our kids, to our youth, to each other. And this task, it might mean doing some scary things, having a scary conversation around the office or um, a bit of an intimidating conversation at the cafe or at mum's group. And for some of us, that task might mean we actually um, give up lots of our time. We take on a particular role or a leadership leadership role. Uh, For some of us, this task might even mean we step out of uh, what we're doing to become formally trained in how to speak God's words well. Maybe even become a worker in Christian ministry or go into pastoral work or or literally go a long way from home as a Christian missionary somewhere in the world. And we can so easily think about that sort of stuff and think, oh, well, I'm not the sort of person that God uses for any of that. I don't have those skills. Um, I'm not the right age. Um, But then we see this picture of Moses, don't we? And it's confronting. Because Moses thought all of that as well. And God still chose to use him. And when we look at Moses, we might actually just see a little bit of ourselves. I don't know about you, but I just think, uh, how many times have I found myself thinking, well, uh, God can't use me. Who am I to speak about Jesus to that person? They don't even know who God is. I doubt they're going to listen anyway. And I probably won't speak that clearly. I might just do more damage than good. Maybe it's best if I just leave that job up to someone else. But then what we need to do as we think about those objections was we can remember the encouragement that God gave to Moses. And we can also remember that he's given great encouragement to us. Let's let's think about these five objections one more time as we finish. Just think about them from our point of view. Uh, The first one is probably the one that I reckon affects me most of all. Uh, When I have the chance to speak to someone about Jesus, I tend to think, well, who am I to tell them what to believe? I'm very aware of my flaws and I'm not even sure that my life's more together than theirs is. They seem pretty happy. Maybe I should just let them be. Who am I to go and um, tell them that I know better than them? Perhaps as we've seen with Moses, we need to be reminded that it's actually not about us. Of course we're flawed. Of course we have all sorts of problems, but it's about Jesus. 
And we trust that he's a good saviour. And like God promised to be with Moses as he went to Egypt, well, we've just seen God's, Jesus' great promise to us in the Great Commission. Surely he is always with us by his Holy Spirit. Or maybe number two, we're reluctant to speak God's words because we're not sure about who he is. And maybe we're not convinced, actually, that he's really all that good of a God after all. Maybe we feel like he's good for us, but actually we just think others are going to find God's word offensive or unhelpful. And maybe his promises are good promises for me, but they're not so much good promises for that person. So we perhaps need to be reminded that this is the holy, unchanging, perfect, faithful God. So we need to be reminded that his promises are as great and as sure as they ever are. And they're great promises for everyone who would come to him and believe. What a privilege it is to be part of sharing the great promises of our holy, promise-keeping, rescuing God. Uh, maybe it's number three that gets us. What, we just don't think people will listen. We just don't think people are going to believe. It's easy for us here in 2023. Um, we hear that narrative that no one's really interested in Christianity anymore, uh, that we're only ever going to come up against antagonism. And of course, it's true that um, if we speak God's words, we will face uh, people who are opposed. Uh, but what did, what did God give to Moses? Great signs, great signs. And as we've said, we have great signs. We have the great signs of the life of Jesus to look to, in particular, the great sign, his resurrection from the dead. And as we point people to Jesus and his resurrection, well, we should trust that some will believe. God will bring people to believe. There's reason to be optimistic. His Holy Spirit is among us working. People will start to see the truth about who Jesus is. Now, maybe we feel the fourth objection. We feel our own weaknesses. Uh, Maybe like Moses, we're not great with words. We can't speak winsomely or confidently. And you think that if you were to bring up Jesus with your friends at the cafe this week, that you might just do more harm than good because you can't really speak that clearly anyway. Um, I, read, I read one very helpful thing, uh, at least I found it helpful this week. Uh, one commentator said, God doesn't need great orators. God doesn't need great orators. He needs reporters. Uh, you might not be able to come up with an amazing, compelling speech about God, but the task God gives us is much simpler than that. Just to report what Jesus has done. In the gospel, in your life, how could you report something of what Jesus has done as you speak to a friend this week. Uh, we can expand this one a little bit too. Um, we might not necessarily be so worried about our speaking ability, but we might feel like we just don't have the energy or we don't have the time or we're too old or we're too introverted. It could be all sorts of things that kind of make us feel like oh, I'm just, I just don't have what it takes. Well, I think if the story of Moses is showing us one thing is that God using us is not a matter of the skills that we may or may not have. In fact, you could look at Moses and almost say that if you feel like you're not suitable for for sharing God's word with others, if you feel like that, those scissors trying to cut that wood, well, it's almost as if God is saying that should be the number one point on your job application because people who aren't suitable are exactly who God tends to use and loves to use. And by the way, Moses was 80 years old when this story happened. Uh, God can use people at all sorts of stages of life. And so maybe it's the very final objection we feel. Can't someone else do it? Um, I I certainly can put my hand up as well and say I definitely feel this one. Uh, We spoke about how Moses had a pretty good life. He had a wife, he had a family, he was working as a shepherd. And, you know, I kind of feel a little bit like that sometimes. I'm, you know, I I like my life. I'm pretty content. I, you know, have have a beautiful world to live in. I have a great family. Um, I'm kind of happy living out my days and just enjoying God's good world. 
Uh, maybe you feel that too. Um, you've got a pretty good life. Uh, I know that won't be all of us, but maybe, maybe for some of us, you just want to sit back and enjoy what you have. Uh, but let's remember what Moses had to remember. There are people, they're only just out there, and they're in desperate need. There are people in slavery who need saving. And we've been given the task of going to them. If we don't share Jesus with our community, who else is going to do it? The good news is, like God was kind to Moses and gave him Aaron to work with him, we should remember that God does also give us people to work alongside. Um, he, he, he uses us not just as individuals, but he puts us on a team. Um, he puts us together as a church. And when we think about our task to speak God's words, we shouldn't just think about it as a task for each one of us to go and do on our own. We should think about it as something we do together. Uh, God's mission is a team sport, I think it's fair to say. Uh, this is something we're trying to think more about this year at church. Uh, we're trying to be more deliberate in how we think about mission. We've, we've begun getting a mission team together. Um, good things to keep talking about. Um, but I also just want to say, just as, as a team, we've been thinking about serving these past few weeks. I think just to finish with an, on an encouraging note, if you uh, are getting here early on Sundays, helping us set up for church, well, actually, you're not just putting out chairs. You're helping with our mission, with the mission that God's given us to speak God's words into our area. And if you're helping with Trinity Kids and teaching our kids about Jesus, well, you're part of what we're doing here and making and teaching disciples. And if you're welcoming people as they come in, if you're making coffee so that we can have a great vibe and have a great time together, whatever it is, all those things, uh, you're on the team. You're helping us together speak God's words into our community. It's a great thing that we're doing, a great privilege. Uh, Well, let's leave it there. This is the task that we've been given Jesus said to go and make better disciples and he reminds us that he's with us. We might feel like Moses, nervous, reluctant, not sure about whether or not we're good enough. But what a privilege to be able to play our part in God's great plan. What a privilege to be able to speak his words into our world and into our community. And what a privilege to be able to do it together. Now let me pray. Lord Jesus, you have given us our burning bush moment. Uh, You chose to use us to spread your gospel message, to speak your words of rescue, to set people free from slavery. Uh, We pray that we would be encouraged today. We do sometimes feel these objections that Moses had, and we do feel nervous about the task before us. But we pray today that we would remember it's not about you. Sorry, it's not about us. It is about you uh, and your kingdom. So use us, Lord Jesus, for your kingdom, we pray. Amen.